what companies are failing to do is think long term. And I think if you were thinking long term about a company's success over mm-hmm. time, you would invest in the mental health of the users or you would mm-hmm. care about that, right? You would want your mm-hmm. product to be yeah. healthy, not something that is known for addicting people or, you know, yeah. candy. Yeah. Yeah. I think to add to that, like something that'd be interesting to consider is like from a more tactical, I think, you know, KPI metric standpoint is instead of basing the success of your company on, you know, retention engagement, the actual impact and effect of the product itself. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Imagine Human. I'm your host, Morgan Moncada. At Imagine Human, our goal is to share the stories of diverse changemakers at the intersection of science, technology, and social impact. We hope these stories inspire you to think big and make a difference for your fellow human. In this episode, we are joined by two guests, Stephen Cognetta and Anne Wu. Stephen and Anne are the founders of Hack Mental Health, a nonprofit focused around the belief that technology can help revolutionize mental health care. Last April, Hack Mental Health hosted its second annual 24-hour mental health hackathon in San Francisco. This hackathon paired mental health care professionals, such as therapists, psychologists, and psychiatrists, with tech-savvy programmers and engineers. In 24 hours, these interdisciplinary teams went on to develop software prototypes addressing many problems in cognitive health including trauma recovery, dementia, and compulsive behaviors. In this episode, Stephen and Anne share their philosophy behind Hack Mental Health, as well as some of the challenges that still remain, including data privacy concerns, social media's impact on our psychology, and the persistent stigma of mental health. If you are interested in getting involved with Hack Mental Health's 2020 conference from March 21st to 22nd, Please check out www.hackmentalhealth.care to join their mailing list and register for the event. Welcome, Stephen and Anne, to Imagine Human Podcast to talk about Hack Mental Health and your mission and how you guys got started at Hack Mental Health, as well as kind of the evolving field of mental health that we're kind of engrossed in day to day in Silicon Valley. So I was wondering if you guys could introduce yourselves and tell me and our audience a little bit about how you got started, starting with you, Stephen, the founder. Cool. Um, Yeah, I'm Stephen. I'm the co-founder of Hack Mental Health. I am super passionate and excited to be on this podcast to talk more about mental health. I can just kind of start off with how this whole thing got started in the beginning. I... We used to work at Google doing product management. At the same time, I was also volunteering at the San Francisco Suicide Hotline as a suicide hotline caller. I had, throughout college and for a lot of my life, been passionate about mental health and knew I wanted to help people in that space. But my career hadn't taken me there so far. And so I was at Google doing product management, really liking the type of work I was doing, while also working at a suicide hotline and really being exposed to a lot of mental health crisis. So I knew I wanted to kind of combine those two interests for me. And out of that, Hack Mental Health was born, where I sort of took some time off and talked to a lot of folks and created the first mental health hackathon based in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And why did you see a need to combine technology with mental health? Yeah, I think there are a lot of 
great things going on in technology. And for me, I wasn't really inspired by the direction that a lot of the companies were going in. A lot of times companies are essentially just profit making machines that try to make more money, which is totally fair. And that's what some companies do. And a lot of technology can enable companies to be more efficient and more economically sound and kind of grow companies. But I knew that I was interested in applying these skill sets that I knew that were totally changing the world, star changing the world in a space that is actually meaningful and helpful to people as opposed to just upselling products that, you know, like Apple deprecating your iPhone so you can get a new iPhone every oh, year. Oh, it sounds like you have some resentment. <laughs> <laughs> I think I have, uh, I think I respect that that's what companies need to do. And yeah. like, that's totally fair. I think for me, I just recognize that I don't feel passionate and excited unless I'm doing something that has purpose. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Sure. So Anne, how about you? Yeah, so I recently joined Hack Mental Health as a co-founder. Um, I've been involved with the organization for about a year now. I actually met Stephen at the first inaugural hackathon in February of 2018 as just like a day of event volunteer. And for me, I think my passion for mental health stemmed from a really young age. I've seen a lot of my close loved ones um, kind of suffer and struggle through the debilitating impacts of mental health from a day-to-day perspective. And so I've always been passionate in this space, and that's actually what ultimately led me to study psychology in undergrad. And I think where technology kind of plays in is being able to take the resources and take access to mental health care and scale it where you're able to get help um, to the people that need it at a much larger capacity. That's what I think really inspires me. And so through Hack Mental Health, we've been able to engage a diverse community across multiple disciplines to bring everyone together. And I think for me, like this feels very full circle, I think, to kind of go through these firsthand experiences of witnessing, you know, the struggles and challenges and now being able to do something and sort of propel this field forward is very gratifying. Yeah. So taking a step back, how do you guys define mental health? Because for so long, there's been a huge stigma around it. And really, it's it has been perceived as synonymous with mental illness mm-hmm. rather than a state of being healthy, mm-hmm. I guess. So I'm just wondering, you know, what is your kind of evolved perspective on that? Yeah, I think it's funny that you kind of presented, I think, the dichotomy of those two, because Steve and I were just talking about that on the way here. And you can kick it off and I can add yeah, to it. Yeah, yeah. I think mental health is still a very ill-defined mm-hmm. term. I think that there it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. There's sort of like the illnesses that mm-hmm. we disorders, clinical, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And then there's also well-being and and some of the maybe less clinical aspects of mental health. Yep. And so when someone says mental health, it can be sometimes confusing as to what is meant by that. Yeah, right? yeah exactly. Um, and I think it's important when talking about it to be respectful of all the different subsets mm-hmm. and perspectives that mm-hmm. come into mental health. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes it such a rich interdisciplinary field is that we're still kind of uncovering these things. We're still understanding from an academic perspective, like what mental health is, like what mm-hmm. depression is. We, we have these crude tools to measure it, but they're not precise and they're not like clear. And so that's why I think everyone will have kind of their own perspective or take on mental health and, mm-hmm. and what that looks like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think what has been interesting though, as we've seen the last few years is I think a focus around mental wellness. I think sometimes we hear mental wellness, especially in the workplace much more often than mental health, maybe because there's less stigma attached to it. But I think yeah. my personal definition of mental health would be 
you know, being able to face life through the many ups and downs with an equanimous sort of mindset and attitude and being able to feel like you are living, you know, your days with your the best version of yourself and not being, you know, too easily, I think, they brought down by different setbacks and, and being able to have that emotional resilience. I think that's kind of, I think for me too, just growing up and, you know, seeing these different things, I think emotional resiliency for me is a big part of what it means to have, you know, mental health and to be able to face life in a, in a healthy mindset. Yeah, I think that's a really great way to frame it, this emotional resiliency. Mm -hmm. And I was actually thinking of the word resilient Mm -hmm. while you were saying that. And being able to bounce back when life throws you challenges, because inevitably it will. Mm -hmm. And what I think is interesting, though, is that you guys are so young and you guys have already thrown yourself into this field, hopefully without, you know, a crisis prompting you to do that. But do you think that the, the barrier to entry for people in mental health is lower now that more people are considering it as something that applies to them even at a young age. I think so. I mean, my my sister is an elementary school teacher and I've definitely I think seen a much larger focus on what it means to, you know, teach children and equip children with the right tools to be able to face different challenges day to day. Like it can, you know, I think include anything from kids, you know, feeling really anxious or stressed at school, but not really being able to communicate that and having the teacher kind of step in and introduce breathing exercises or having, you know, meditation sessions instead of a after school um, detention. And so I think there has been a general shift in society where now there is a focus on being able to educate and make people aware of how to to go through these sort of challenges. Yeah. Yeah. So so kind of back to the the mission of Hack Mental Health, how does Mm -hmm. technology accelerate that or augment that? Yeah, I think there are huge aspects to the mental health. Well, so mental health in general is a growing crisis. People, as you mentioned, are becoming more aware that they have these issues. Mm -hmm. Stigma is declining. Mm -hmm. Um, And so as the stigma declines and awareness increases, Mm -hmm. there's a need that is also increasing, like a huge need, Mm -hmm. to the point where there are shortages of therapists and mental health professionals to Mm -hmm. help serve the need that is growing. And so one thing that technology can really play a role in, just, just one aspect of that, is the way that technology can scale solutions, which will help this massive need for mental health that's being underserved. And so that's one huge opportunity is like the ability to expand access to mental health services. But there's totally more, like there's every stage of the mental health process, there's an opportunity, I think, for technology to serve a bigger role and to help guide the care and improve the quality of care also. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And do you feel like, Technology is also exacerbating the problems of mental health and, you know, I'm specifically asking about like social media Mm. and its impact on mental well-being or emotional resilience. Yes, I think there is absolutely like a double-edged sword here with technology. I think there's, yeah, certainly there's a subset of technology that is helpful to expand access to help with the increased need for mental health services. There is also on the other flip side, an increased addiction to mental mm-hmm. health uh, to um, technologies. So video game addiction now mm-hmm. is classified as a disorder by the yeah. World Health Organization. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Probably soon things like social media addiction and things like that kind of fall into the same bucket. I'm really, kind of surprised not it hasn't already yeah. been classified. Mm-hmm. I mean, in some ways, social media mm-hmm. is a video game, right? Yeah. Like it's a video game where you can get more points by posting funnier things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so in the similar way, I think that it is causing a lot of problems for people, causing a lot of 
anxieties and I mean FOMO and like these things mm-hmm. on the rise that are kind of jokingly set around but actually cause real issues for people. There's a lot of like eating disorder rise, I think, mm-hmm. due to imagery on Instagram. So yeah, I think it's important as folks in technology sector to be aware and cognizant of the ways that technology can both help and harm people in relation to their mental health. Mm-hmm. It's a really fair point. And we've even designed a whole reverse hackathon to address this very topic. Interesting. So the reverse hackathon was, you know, we, we had this mental health hackathon where we brought in a bunch of hackers and entrepreneurs and designers and therapists to improve the mental health crisis in America using technology. And then we sort of flipped that model with a designathon event called the Reverse Hackathon, where we brought a lot of um, therapists, psychologists, mental health professionals, but also entrepreneurs, designers, technologists to redesign the ways that technology is sometimes harmful to our mental health. So instead of like creating new technologies to solve mental health crises, mm-hmm. how can we reflect on the ways that the companies we work for are also responsible for these problems? Mm-hmm. And so that was a really cool event where like simple hacks or ideas came out of it, like how can you prevent ghosting on dating apps, right? Mm, interesting, that's like yeah. a really mm-hmm. frustrating part of the dating process, yep. right? Mm-hmm. Or how can you create meaningful connections, which is something that Facebook is now all about, mm-hmm. uh, meaningful connections on digital platforms. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's really, you know, kind of reshaping the way that we view our own self-worth through these different applications. And being aware of it and aware of how they they shape our self-worth. I mean, even something as simple as your messages application Mm -hmm. and the frequency with which you get text messages or notifications Mm -hmm. or even notifications in general, the Mm -hmm. notification like interface on your phone makes you feel a sense of Mm -hmm. Mm self-worth. So what are some of the responsibilities that big technology companies, what have you seen them do wrong? And what are some of the responsibilities that they have, including, you know, like Apple that makes the actual physical product? Yeah, I think that there are a lot of problems with how the technology gets made from an incentive perspective. So if you think about it, if you're an employee at a company like Apple or Google, your metrics for success are evaluated. The metrics for success of the product you work on are evaluated based on like engagement or you know, numbers of users that are using your product. And so if that's your bottom line, if that's your goal, Mm -hmm. uh, of course, you're going to create products that are somewhat addictive, Mm -hmm. that are leveraging dopamine hacking to keep you addicted to the products. Your daily active user DAU metric can go up. And so I think that there's a problem inherent to the system that we're operating in that is kind of incentivizing these technologies to get created. Mm -hmm. And as technology improves, we're running into this problem more because, you know, back in the day, like a newspaper can only addict you so much, right? Like, mm-hmm. sure, you like the comics every day, so you go read the comics. But like now we can push mm-hmm. notifications to you about the comics and we can email about them, mm-hmm. you about them. We can tailor the comics to exactly what yeah. you think you want, mm-hmm. where you want them. Yeah. And so I think that, I think the technology has certainly enabled uh, more addictive properties of tools and it certainly hasn't been helped by the incentive mechanisms yeah. of the companies. I think that's yeah, the interesting. Yeah, the incentive mechanisms, yeah. It's interesting because I, I do feel like the incentive mechanism, dopamine hacking, like, mm. in a lot of ways, it can also be applied on, like, for the for the better. Um, So if you think about, like, different applications today, like Headspace is one, Insight Timer, these meditation applications that are intended, you know, to promote consistent, healthy 
mindful behaviors, they also engage in the same type of, you know, product development. Like they have streaks, you know, how many days have you meditated for? Here are your cumulative hours, cumulative minutes. And I think it's interesting when you think about like the goal of a company and I guess the reason why this company exists because for Headspace, I think in, in other, you know, similar companies, like at the end of the day, while they do care about user engagement and, you know, how many different users, how often are people coming back? It's still serving, I think, a higher purpose than, you know, what social media or different likes or comments can can provide. And so I think that's like the fine line mm-hmm. between like balancing because I don't I wouldn't say, you know, just focusing on user engagement is like bad. I think mm-hmm. depending on what it's applied for, it can be easily. Yeah. Leveraged, so yeah. have you guys learned of any other incentive mechanisms like based on the hackathons that you've mm-hmm. had? Like what are some learnings that you've taken away for design of these kind of pro mental health, pro mental wellness technologies. Yeah. So kind of what you're asking is like, we know that there are bad incentive mechanisms yes. mm-hmm. in the system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How can we find a way to develop technologies that don't exhibit these behaviors and that are positive for mental health? Mm-hmm. Is that and are there other incentive mechanisms mm-hmm. rather than this kind of bottom line, you know, mm-hmm. because these are key performance indicators that companies are using to measure their success. Mm-hmm. And it's almost not it's like the machine itself, the totally. engine of Facebook mm-hmm. itself, rather than right. the bad intentions of a developer. And they're really just trying to hit these numbers mm-hmm. without really thinking about the deleterious effects of yep. what those numbers mean. So are there yeah. other numbers or other ways that we can track progress and actually make a sustainable business or technology? Yep. I think it's a great question. Yeah. I think it's a question that we're still figuring out. Okay. Yeah. I think that... but. If I had to, you know, yeah. I, I think that ultimately it's about long-term versus short-term thinking. Mm-hmm. So it's really easy to hit like metrics if you're thinking, oh, this quarter, how can I get more users? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. But if you're really thinking long-term, like a company like Facebook should be, you're going to be like much worse off if you've addicted a bunch of people to your platform. They have this negative reputation associated with it. It's like convincing people to actually find ways to like not use the platform yeah. which is currently how Facebook mm-hmm. is yeah operating. I mean they're, they're yeah. kind of suffering from those problems right now that yeah. you're mentioning and it's almost too late for some of their mm-hmm. their core products yep. and the brand association has declined so much right yeah. yeah and so I would think that what companies are failing to do is think long term yeah okay. and I think if you were thinking long term about a company's success mm-hmm. over time you would invest in the mental health of the users or you would mm-hmm. care about that right you would want your mm-hmm. product to be yeah. healthy not something that is known for addicting people or, you know, yeah. candy. Yeah. Yeah. I think to add to that, like something that'd be interesting to consider is like from a more tactical, I think, you know, KPI metric standpoint is instead of basing the success of your company on, you know, retention engagement, the actual impact and effect of the product itself. And so if you're talking about mental health, you know, tech apps or um, different teletherapy resources, like for them, like their metrics might not be like, oh, how many, like their, their core metric might not be how only focused on how many new users we have, but from the users that are returning, if we were to take a baseline of how they feel today versus baseline of how mm. they feel a couple weeks from now, like using the improvement as their new sort of, um, you know, metric, metric, for, success. Yeah, yeah. metric for success, I feel yeah. like that's a much more holistic and um, holistic approach to also then, you know, long-term, like what do you want your users to kind of get from this application? Not just how many times they come back, how many hours they've talked, but are you actually making a positive impact on these people's lives that, you know, that you're saying you kind of set out to do from the beginning, which is why you created this company in the first place. Yeah. Very interesting. And have you seen any, or are there examples of 
current companies or softwares out there that are doing this correctly or that you think are kind of moving in the correct direction? To be honest, yeah. I think it's hard to know from the short term what companies are investing in like yeah. how, and how they're thinking about it. Yeah. I do think that Facebook is trying. Like I, I see that they're trying, they're struggling. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that in terms of just like groups, I think the Center for Humane Technology is doing some interesting work and helping define that for companies and working with companies to define it. Mm-hmm. I think you can tell when companies have a negative culture of operating. So a lot of companies seem to have poor access to, or their CEO represents something that is, I, I don't want to name companies, but I think, you know, some companies have different types of leaders that promote different types of cultures that mm-hmm. will bleed down into the products, actually. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. I think that's also something to watch out for. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, I think that it's, it's something that needs to be built into the core of the company as the company grows also. Like it can't mm-hmm. just be an afterthought. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that as product leaders, we should be aware of and mm-hmm. um, develop as we continue to develop these companies and products. And so I think it speaks to like the responsibility we have in mm-hmm. Silicon Valley. And I, I think there's also sort of like a need for redirection of talent. So we see a lot of people who go into these like amazing companies like Stripe or whatever, you know, um, and they're doing some cool stuff. But I think there's like, as much as I love payment processing as a field, yeah. uh, <laughs> like I would love if more people moved into the mental health sector yeah, because definitely. it's like, we need smart people. We need yeah. intelligent people who yeah. can shape these things. And mm-hmm. it's not like there isn't an opportunity. Like there's mm-hmm. a huge opportunity here. Yeah. yeah, And so I think that is also another component to this problem is like getting people excited about and moving people into that space which is something that we're trying to do with Hack Mental Health too, is like bringing the bright minds together to yeah. innovate around these problems. Yeah. And bringing in all these interdisciplinary leaders. Mm-hmm. And do you think that how is this interdisciplinary nature of this field impacting who's going into it? Are you seeing more healthcare providers? Do you think that there's a need for more healthcare providers? And do you think that that's going to have a tangible outcome on you know, the products that are developed? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think... I mean, to answer your first question, I think by having a mental health hackathon that is open to all disciplines and open to people of all backgrounds and experiences, we've been able to get like a huge interest in the community from people ranging from mental health survivors or people that have, you know, seen loved ones go through it, but maybe not have own their own clinical or professional experience in the field. Just bring really everyone together for a common cause. And I think to your second point, addressing, you know, having the perspective of healthcare providers in our community and in the hackathon, we've done a great deal of work on trying to provide mentorship opportunities for people that come to the hackathon. So at our previous hackathon, we had like a clinical mentorship lead as well as a product mentorship lead um, where we really want to make sure that the solutions that we're creating and addressing have a viable impact on the people they're trying to serve and making sure that we are looking at these solutions from all different lenses, not just from you know, the end user or a product designer, but also from people that have actually been on the front lines, helping people go through these different struggles. I think that's like probably one of our core values in making sure that at the end of the day, as much as we're focused on mental health and technology and innovation, we are really bringing together all the right perspectives and angles to tackle the issue. And how has that changed your view of mental health and some of the opportunities that lie ahead? Yeah, Yeah. so when I started off, I was a Google PM, interested in mental health. I had volunteered, I had exposure to mental health, but I didn't really know enough about the mental health space to, well, 
at the time, I think I thought I knew more. It's that effect where, you know, you don't know enough and you think you know how to solve problems. And I do think there's this uh, sort of rampant idea in Silicon Valley that we can just disrupt things, you know, yeah. we can just go in and fix things. And there's, I mean, I say this all the time, but you know how Silicon Valley is this thing about moving fast and breaking things. Well, that just doesn't work in mental health or like it shouldn't work in mental health. Like we shouldn't move fast and break things because those things are people and really sensitive people in very vulnerable situations. And so I think there's a culture change that needs to sort of happen in terms of understanding how the technology sector's culture intersects with the culture of providers where in the clinical world, you actually are much more conservative with uh, features and with launching things and with yeah, everything. Definitely. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And so I think that's just one aspect of maturity that I've experienced in, since I've been interested in this space of interacting with clinicians and mm-hmm. finding a happy medium. I don't think it's, I don't think you should just become super conservative either, Yeah. Mm-hmm. but it's a push and pull. It's about scalability and mm-hmm. quality and finding yeah. how those things intersect. Yeah. So I, I, I think that there's a lot that I learned about the need for interdisciplinariness, like, I knew it was important, but I didn't realize how important it was mm-hmm. until like two or three years down the road. When, yep. You know, now we're beyond just a hackathon. We're actually bringing a community together. Yep. How do we build a community of people to support innovation in mental health tech that mm-hmm. puts the right stakeholders in front of the right products at the right time? And it involves like not just I know we're talking a lot about clinicians and technologists, but it involves like the patients too, like mm-hmm. um, the users. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so, yeah. how can we involve them in this process too? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And along those lines, the FDA, I, I believe, recently approved the first digital therapeutic. Mm-hmm. How do you think that the FDA and these kind of long clinician timelines might affect this field as more and more things get regulated? Yeah, I think it's interesting. There's sort of like multiple strategies being employed by mental health technologies right now. One strategy is to go through the FDA approval route and to become regulated. And I like that it's a long-term play. Like it is Mm -hmm. sort of thinking ahead, you know, like eventually we will have these tools in the world. Mm -hmm. They'll all be regulated. And some companies going down that route. It's also a very good way to build a moat around your product. Also, distinguish your product. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, our tools and apps and technologies that are being deployed just to the masses, right, as direct-to-consumer mm-hmm. products. And those are great because, you know, there's a need now. We can't mm-hmm. wait around. We need to ship something. And we can really serve a product that is consumable by consumers, that they like, that they know is helping them. And then that can generate adoption. So why do we need to deal with this whole healthcare space? Mm-hmm. And then in, in the middle, you have, like, the companies that are selling B2B. So, like, companies are providing services to companies to their customers Mm -hmm. so maybe there's a little bit more regulation there Mm -hmm. because the companies are actually taking a closer eye to it i think that all routes have their merits and and cons i do think that in the space where you're just launching products to consumers there's a need for responsibility there's Mm -hmm. a need for transparency with what you're doing with people's private data there's a need for product excellence to be honest because what happens when you launch a product that is supposed to be engaging or like products are supposed to be engaging right but when the user is inherently disengaged like that is a very different type of user right like and so if you are an app that claims that you do cbt cognitive behavioral therapy Mm -hmm. for someone you have some trial period that was really a negative experience for them and then you've turned someone away from therapy for the rest of the year there's a huge responsibility with Mm -hmm. that that you sort of taken someone who could have needed help away from the mental health services. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, so turned off the idea of even getting help. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so I 
I think that there's merits to all approaches, but I, I do think that there's caution and responsibility in that that category of apps that go directly to the consumer. Mm-hmm. And so there are some organizations that are attempting to provide ratings on this. So like CyberGuide is one of them that they, they do academic reviews of mental health services that oh. are direct to consumer. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so that's a great resource for people yep. if you're trying to just check even on things like is the privacy policy realistically good like do yeah. they have a privacy yeah. policy and what's happening to my data yeah mm-hmm. and that's like a whole other thing we could talk about yeah, for yeah. probably on another podcast yeah, too. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that, yeah. that's my next question yeah. that's my next question yeah. yeah so yeah talking about data what is the responsibility related because we've seen how our data has been just completely taken away from us and mm-hmm. repurposed without our knowing mm-hmm. and you know we look at all these forms when we download an app and no one reads them mm-hmm. and then you don't really? like yeah and, and, then, and then it's just me it's just me and like yeah, you know, yeah. 100 million all, other and then you know a month later you know mm-hmm. russia has all of my information has you know all these aged pictures of me how is data both extremely useful like and how is it transforming this field, but also mm-hmm. what are some of the uh, implications if it's misused? Hmm. I, I can kind of start off a little yeah. bit. I feel like it, I think it kind of ties into the whole concept of like the end goal and the purpose of this. I feel like if you are taking, if you're collecting data at an anonymous mass sort of level and you are trying to understand the efficacy of your product or you're trying to understand, you know, the improvement opportunities, I think in a lot of ways, like you do improve a product by looking at your data, by trying to understand the numbers, you know, what's working, what's not working, what are different uh, methods we can, you know, slice the data we're seeing. But at the same time, I think you also risk then potentially, I think, losing the trust of a customer if they don't necessarily want to be a part of that or necessarily want to, you know, use their personal experiences as a way to now help this company improve. And so I don't know, I think for me, like, there's a, a fine balance, I think, between being able to grow as a company and to grow and develop your product and then making sure that your end user and your customers feel comfortable with that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, yeah, it's just super important, especially in the mental health space, for yeah. collecting all this information. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think that there's a stronger need in case for mm-hmm. privacy policies and transparency around data usage mm-hmm. in this space. And I think that's something that we really are attuned to with Hack Mental Health this year is like, how can we help? foster innovation like we, we that's our goal is right we're a community mm-hmm. we want to foster innovation we want to help people collaborate connect communicate but how can we help do so in a way that promotes responsibility of the usage of data and so that's one of our really key like pillars of the coming year is like you know making sure that we're shaping the field of mental health mm-hmm. in a way that will actually benefit the end users and be responsible and careful about our data usage and mm-hmm. yeah that's a super good topic to always just bring into every discussion Mm -hmm. around product Mm -hmm. development. Yeah. Yeah. But data itself can really empower mental health Mm -hmm. and our understanding because we can learn so much. I mean, think about, you know, maybe not A-B testing, but Mm -hmm. using different uh, CBT paths, for Mm -hmm. example, conversational paths, Mm -hmm. and then actually collecting the metrics on millions of people at a time or Mm -hmm. thousands of people at a time who agree, you know, I'm going to test this new Mm -hmm technique mm-hmm. out. And, you know, that could really, I think, push the field forward in terms of data disrupting, mm-hmm. you know, all these other industries. Mm-hmm. Why not mental health? Yeah. I mean, 
maybe the question not why not mental health, but like how do you do it in the mental health space in a responsible mm. and transparent way where the customer doesn't have to read through pages and pages yeah, at the very yeah. end. It's like, by the way, we're going to anonymize your data and then use it for all these things, but delivery in a way where customers know what they're, what they are sort of agreeing to, you know, okay. I think in therapy sessions, in real life therapy sessions, you sign a HIPAA agreement in the, in, in the office, you yep. meet with therapists, you actually go over what you're signing, what you're agreeing to the therapist will outline, you know, just want to let you know, this is a safe space, but under these circumstances, we will need to, you know, we will need to tell someone else if you share X, Y, Z. And they are very intentional, I think, around expectation setting and knowing that you feel comfortable with that versus when you think about mental health technology, you download an app from an app store, the Android store, and within, you know, two seconds, you're logged in and you kind of bypass all of that sort of conscious, intentional agreement. Yeah. So it's not so much like why not mental health or should it be used for mental health, but more so how do you do it in a way, you know, that is comfortable and safe for, for the, for the customers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Yeah. So what are some of the coolest projects or things that have come out of hack mental health? Hmm. There's lots, yeah, there's lots, lots of fun ones. There's lots of interesting ones. The winner of the recent mental health mm-hmm. hackathon was this tool called Amazon. A play on Amazon. Yeah, yeah, Amazon. yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Got it. Uh, it was targeted to folks with compulsive buying disorder, which is a pretty oh, serious. Yeah, and it's on the rise. It's like a serious mental health mm-hmm. issue for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And Amazon has a lot of tools that encourage people to buy things, right? Yeah. Um, the one-click purchasing. Yeah. yeah. The, the one dollar yeah, like coupon. Yeah. 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 Oh man. And it's yeah. like, what does the coupon even mean? Like yeah, I just yeah, click yeah. it and I get yeah. the thing. Yeah. Like $25, get free shipping, a yeah. lot of different mechanisms. Yeah. Yeah. And so they created a really cute, interesting product that helped people be more responsible when they were buying products on Amazon. So mm-hmm. one of the things one of the features included an interstitial that an interstitial that would show an equivalency of what they were purchasing. So for example, let's say you're purchasing a $50 bow tie or something. And then it would say, hey, do you want to buy this bow tie? You can actually buy like 20 deodorants with this or something. Like, Yeah, like 10, 10 cartons of eggs or something. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, something or, useful yeah. or yeah. Like, utility based. Yeah. yeah. And so it was really a great presentation also, but yeah. targeting a problem that is actually quite serious too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is it only getting worse, right? Mm, I mean... With Amazon's ability to target ads mm-hmm. and things like that, I uh, they're constantly bombarded with ads, yeah, yeah all the time. I, yeah. I, yeah, anecdotally, a lot of my friends are like, "Oh yeah, I just go online shopping when I feel bad." Like, mm-hmm. you know, oh, yeah. the accessibility of it makes mm-hmm. it so much more dangerous. Yeah, mm-hmm. so yeah, there's definitely a, a need for something there. Mm-hmm. Um, any other products that you thought were cool that came out of our? I think there was also a lot of focus this year around. Mm. meaningful connections and building communities mm. um in a way that where you don't feel so alone because i think a lot of ways like social media right is is was supposed to be a platform that brought the sense of togetherness for a lot of people and yet oftentimes like you hear um you have people like at home like seeing this picture perfect life of someone's instagram because that's what they decide to showcase and so this year especially i think we've seen a lot of our participants finding ways to improve social connection among communities, whether it's through a college campus or through people that are near you. Mm-hmm. And I think I think that that goes to show like a lot of people are recognizing the ways in which technology isn't helping. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I can't think of any top of my mind right now, mm-hmm. but there were a lot of, I think, really great product developments around that space. 
Yeah. Loneliness is an epidemic. Mm -hmm. And I think even the UK declared it as uh, a huge health concern. Yeah, there's a minister of loneliness now. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, (laughs) I did read about that. Yeah. But it seems that that is particularly affecting the older demographics. If technology has Mm -hmm. all these benefits, potentially, how is that going to reach the older demographics that don't use technology as much? Yeah, I think it's a great question. It's a great underserved segment of people that we often don't think about. A lot of mental health tech tools are companies driven, right? So they're Mm -hmm. selling to businesses to serve their employees. Mm -hmm. But what happens to people who are retired, who are working at a company? Mm -hmm. How do they get innovative mental health care solutions? Mm -hmm. Who are very, you know, they might be alone. They they are at risk. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's a huge problem. It's something that speaks to me, like very interesting to me also. Mm -hmm. I've spent a lot of time with older adults who have been alone in in the U.S. And I think there's definitely misconceptions also. You take a space like Silicon Valley, like we're all younger people. We're trying to create innovative solutions, but mostly for people our age, yeah. right? Like, mm-hmm. um, and so we often don't have the voice of the older adult in the room. Yeah. We have all these misconceptions about, oh, well, let's just put the word senior in front of our product and yeah. sell it. And it's just like, no, no one wants to be called senior. Like, that's yeah. not really a... like. When I'm 80, I hope I'm still lively and young and like, you know, yeah. I don't want to be seen as this older person. So I think there's like a huge problem in terms of empathizing with that user segment yeah, and, and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there are mental health tools that can be transcendent, that can apply not only just targeting older adults, but mm-hmm. can apply to the entire space. Mm-hmm. And if you develop a product, like think about accessibility features, right? Like mm-hmm. a lot of accessibility features become really popular. Like, I, I don't know. A lot of people I know at least like turn on accessibility features because they like those features. They're just better features. And so that's an example of a feature that is designed for accessibility, but actually is beneficial to all sets mm-hmm. of users, right? Mm-hmm. So you're talking about like when you increase the font on your phone mm-hmm. or you, you use some of the other features. Yeah, and those are just like an example. Like, you know, there I'm trying to think of a specific example, but even just sometimes using like easier walkways or making things easier mm-hmm. for people can be can make it more accessible to all people. And so I think that there's an interesting comparison there mm-hmm. where by developing mental health tools with all users in mind, you can actually be more successful product, get more adoption, mm-hmm. all those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. So so I think that there's, there's an opportunity, there's a need. There are some of the tools in the Mental Health Hackathon that have come out that address those demographics. Mm-hmm. And there's certainly more that we can do in, in terms of bringing people access to to tools that help them with things like loneliness or mm-hmm. worthfulness. Yeah. Yeah. Worthfulness. And how are you guys seeing this is a bit different sure. question, yeah. but like how are you guys seeing the as as you put it earlier before the the recording, the resurgence of Eastern spiritual traditions impacting the field of mental health. I mean you can just go to a Whole Foods, you can even now go to Safeway and just see magazine after magazine on mindfulness, yoga, mm-hmm. all these different techniques that are actually being extensively researched at, you know, top academic universities showing to impact not only the mind, but also the body. How are you seeing that impact your work and then also technology and its relationship with mental health? Hmm. I mean, you mentioned Headspace. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think there definitely have been a lot of more maybe just like 
what's the word I'm thinking of? Can't think of it right now. But I think I think being able to deliver these sort of resources in a way that is engaging and attractive to the end user, like having an app to teach meditation is not something that existed, you know, like five, 10 years ago, yeah. maybe. Mm-hmm. And so taking all these really well-researched, these really rich toolkits and skill sets and delivering it to, you know, I think the mass consumer in a way where they can now easily understand and digest, you know, what is this process? What is this? method trying to trying to teach and so for me i think like meditation mindfulness has played a big role in my ability to sort of face you know everyday challenges from you know simple things to maybe larger stresses at work and i think it's been really interesting where now it's not so much like oh if you practice buddhism or if you were raised you know in a particularly spiritual family but being able to understand that this tool can be widely used and it it can be a very I think daunting thing when you think about like, oh, meditate, I don't know what that means. I don't know how to do it. It's impossible to sit still and to not think about anything else. But being able to have these different educational tools that teach, you know, meditation can be something as simple as focusing on your breath, you know, and and taking just 10 breaths in and out and just focusing on, you know, the physical sort of sensation of it above your upper lip and things like that and breaking it down in a much more, I think, palatable way for people to to learn. I think that is probably, I think, the key difference in, or the key, I think, impact in being able to engage the broader audience to to using this tool. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's always more to learn and to grow in from other perspectives and cultures. Mm -hmm. And I think that Eastern spirituality is certainly experiencing a resurgence in the Western world in some ways for good, in some ways kind of we're sometimes appropriating yeah, appropriating. yeah. <laughs> um, and so you know I, I think we've gotten much better at that over the past few years yeah. too and I think it's really interesting to see the ways that a lot of technologies and tools are integrating it into their products mm-hmm. and yeah I, I think it's an awesome collaborative in some ways also interdisciplinary yeah. approach to mental health so mm-hmm. it's really cool intercultural essentially right mm-hmm. and so I am inspired by it and I'm excited by it and and Anne both have done 10-day silent meditation retreats, mm-hmm. which are based out of Asan Goenka's class. It's this mm-hmm. Vipassana. Yeah. How was that? It was, I think the two words I would <laughs> describe it is one, challenging, okay. but two, very worthwhile. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, yeah, I think I would recommend it. I think you definitely have to go in with the right mindset and understand, you know, what you're committing yourself to. But I think if you're open-minded and willing to learn and really to experience it can be very transformational and really impactful i think consistency is the other thing i think the reason why it's 10 days and you're there kind of doing the same timetable every day is because you want to establish a routine so that it becomes a second nature go-to thing you don't have to think twice before you know really practicing those different methods but yeah i think steven and i yeah we can definitely go in that like <laughs> in a separate session but i yeah it, it was very challenging but i I loved it. And it actually like passed by a lot more quickly than I thought it would. I don't know if Steven would say the same, but... It was definitely challenging. Yeah. It was definitely rewarding. And yeah. I'm glad I did it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah. yeah. It, it, and I, I think to bring it back to your point, like it yeah. speaks to how... Yeah, I, I think I personally at least believe in experimenting with different approaches and like yep. Eastern philosophy is this... Yeah. Like there, there's a lot to learn from here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it was an incredible experience also just from the perspective of kind of an experimentation, like Mm -hmm. let me try out this thing and Mm -hmm. see if it works for me. Mm -hmm. And I think with mental health, where there's so many different types of problems and Mm -hmm. issues, 
it's important also to kind of experiment mm-hmm. with different solutions and that's yeah. why we have all these different apps and products also so there may be some similarities there yeah 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 definitely and during that silent meditation so you have no phones mm-hmm. you're not allowed to talk at all or? yeah and no no gesturing no eye contact no writing no, writing, no reading and were you guys there together no, no, we no. did. He did, oh, okay. did yours two years, no, three years ago. I did mine a couple years ago. Yeah, I actually just got back from mine um, last month. Okay. Um. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know couples that do it together, and oh gosh, they talk about how difficult it is because they can't even talk yeah. to each other during that time. I can't imagine if I had to go with my fiance because 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 the men and women are separated, yeah. but you do share, you know, the communal meditation hall when you're eating. You can kind of see, like, you know them walking and so i can't imagine if i were to go with robert and like keep wondering oh did he wake up on time for the foreign sit did did he you know have lunch yeah i think that'd be very distracting i remember my friend and i we were talking about doing it together and yeah yeah, like at the same time and and my friend was like I don't think this is the kind of thing you do with someone. Yeah. yeah. Not talk for 10 days. Like. It's, a very, it's a very personal experience, though. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've talked with, we actually had an episode last year, and you know I've talked with some people who've gone through the meditation retreats, mm-hmm. and they've actually had these like deep spiritual mm-hmm. experiences that were completely mm-hmm. transformative. Mm-hmm. And then like mm-hmm. weeks later, they still feel that. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a state of perpetual bliss. But then it fades. It fades as they return back to the world and they get... If you're not consistent, yeah, with the practice, I think it comes. It becomes very easy to... Because I think as humans, like, we adapt a lot more easily than we might think we do. And so even just for me, I remember the second day I got back, it felt as if, like, the meditation retreat was months ago. Like, it didn't seem like just two days ago I was sitting, you know, for 10 hours a day listening to SM Goenka's, you know, voice recordings. Yeah. And I think that's, like, also, like, the scary part of being able to adapt so quickly, you know that something is good for you. And yet it's it can be very hard to commit and to be consistent in your daily practice. And so for me, I think mental health also and having mental health and having mental wellness is there is an element of being able to do the things that you know are going to be good for you, even if in the moment you don't really feel like it. And so for me, I think the days where it's like exercise. Yeah, exactly exercise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. The days that you really don't want to get up to work out or you really don't want to get up and sit for 20 minutes to meditate, those are probably the days that you need it most yeah, and will definitely. have the most positive impact throughout the day. Like I, I never regret, you know, sitting down for 20 minutes or sitting down to do a 20 minute yoga session because immediately right after like you feel the impacts and the positive effects of it. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I, I can empathize with yeah. that. I, I definitely feel <laughs> transformed after I do it mm-hmm. but sometimes it can be such a struggle to be like when do I have time mm-hmm. in my day to do nothing mm. and focus on my breath and something that's been really helpful for me is learning about the health benefits like actually decreasing my mm-hmm. stress response improving mm-hmm. my sleep mm-hmm. and understanding the mind body connection mm-hmm. and that you know it's actually it literally is the same as as exercise it's just exercise in a completely different way. I'm not building muscle mass, but like my brain is changing okay. its chemistry. You're rewiring all your um your pathway, mm. uh, yeah. synapses. Yeah, all yeah, pathways. Exactly, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. You know, creating better synchronization yeah. between the left yeah. and right hemisphere, mm-hmm. but then also, you know, decreasing that stress response that most of us mm-hmm. have 
perpetually because mm -hmm. even when you get notifications on your phone, mm -hmm. that's like stress inducing mm -hmm. and you feel like you have to answer it. Mm -hmm. Or if you don't answer it, mm -hmm. then it's always in the back of your mind. Oh, I need to answer that. Or emails. Emails are a terrible thing mm -hmm. because you're always feeling this perpetual stress, like weighing you down. Mm -hmm. So learning to clear your mind and then maintain that, mm -hmm. I think is like, it's an art. It's mm -hmm. definitely an art, but you have to keep, yeah. it's a practice, right? So for you, do you feel like keeping in mind the I guess like researched and proven positive impacts of meditation is what encourages you to kind of stick to the practice. Kind of like how, you know, exercising is good for you. gets your yeah. heart rate up, you know, cardiovascular improvements, all these things. So for you is more like the awareness education around how this can help you. That's what keeps yeah. you. Yeah. Well, actually my, my whole interest in mental health and the mental health field actually yeah. began from my insomnia. Mm. And so I had really bad insomnia and still do every now and then. Yeah. And I was searching for, every solution out there, right. you know, besides taking over the counter drugs, which cause a variety of different effects, mm -hmm. and you can get addicted to them, I didn't want to become dependent on them. Mm -hmm. And it's impressive that the medical community has very few solutions for insomnia, besides mm -hmm. cognitive behavioral therapy mm -hmm. for insomnia specifically. Mm -hmm. And that's actually like the go to treatment. But there are all these Eastern practices that are thousands and thousands of years old that were used to, you know, and they believe in like the chakra system, this energy mm -hmm. system that you have, mm -hmm. but a lot of them are breath based. And right. basically these different, I would read that these different leading universities would talk about how anyone from like a, a young child with behavior disorders mm -hmm. or acting out in class to someone with stage three breast cancer mm -hmm. can actually show a physical response from just practicing this. Mm -hmm. And they were able to show that mindfulness-based stress reduction, which is now, I think, one of the newest, I think, clinically relevant spiritual practices, mm -hmm. has been shown to decrease mortality mm -hmm. and like people with a variety of different conditions. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you look at the research and some there's like some evidence that the meditating itself impacts your inflammatory response and it impacts even down to the genetic level the gene expression mm -hmm. um just based on i guess this this field of like psycho neuroimmunology mm -hmm. which is that the state of your mind actually impacts the, all the hormones mm -hmm. that are floating through your body and if you think about it anytime you're stressed you're producing like adrenaline norepinephrine mm -hmm. and that increases your heart rate and acute stress can be really healthy. Like mm -hmm. if you do like an intermittent fast or you fast mm -hmm. uh, for, you know, 24 hours or so, but long-term stress and chronic stress mm -hmm. has been linked to nearly every major chronic illness yeah. mm -hmm. and many of which my family has had. Mm -hmm. So definitely a huge motivator, I think, yeah. integrating the health, the physical health benefits with the mental health benefits. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I think hopefully in the future, it only becomes more tightly integrated. Yeah, I think yeah. that's definitely a trend that we're seeing also. Mm -hmm. is the the mind-body divide is kind of a made-up thing. Right? It, mm -hmm. It's totally made up. <laughs> it's totally yeah. made up. Like, and if you think about it, like your microbiome in mm. your stomach is affecting mm -hmm. your, via, via the vagus nerve, mm -hmm. it's affecting your preferences for certain foods. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's crazy because those are like bacteria in your stomach that are yeah. like interacting with like, you know, your, your digestive yeah. system, but affecting your, your brain. And yeah. Your, what you crave for, what sort of things make you excited, make you happy. Yeah, exactly. No, totally. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Well, anyway, so kind of as a final wrap up yeah. question, 
what are your, if you don't mind sharing, like your routines for mental health that you, you know, kind of rely on? Yeah. Go for it first. So one thing that I want to mention that's a routine for me with mental health practices is actually like checking in on other people and my friends. And so I think that there's an amazing benefit when someone does that to me like Mm -hmm. if I'm feeling bad and someone checks in on me or just like asks me like how I'm doing yeah like I used to be a suicide hotline volunteer and so I've seen the ways in which just these kind gestures or words or supportive expressions can radically make someone's day or week or month better yeah and so that's one routine that I have is actually just to for other people in my network to reach out to them and to Mm -hmm. foster a culture of checking in and caring for one another and so, yeah, some some friends, if I know they're going through something, I'll I'll just, like, text them every week just to see mm-hmm. how they're doing and things like that. Yeah, yeah. that's great. I really like that. Yeah. It's, like, it's selfless, but it's it's community building. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. like what you were talking about. You know, yeah. you build this support network with your friends. Mm-hmm. And I actually, I have that with two of my friends, and we form, like, kind of a triangle. But we always, mm-hmm. like, check in yeah. on one another. And we always know, so, like, if I don't, hear what like is happening to iris or something I, yeah. tom will tell me yeah, yeah. and yeah. we're all like at the same trust level yeah. but we all kind of it's reinforce awesome. each other it yeah. makes all the difference mm-hmm. yeah i think a lot of ways in like being able to be there for some i know on like my worst days where i you know had a bad day or just i'm feeling really crappy like being able to be there for my roommates or my mom or my fiance yeah. like that automatically just generates the sense of like gratitude from mm. like, like oh i was able to be there for someone i was able to help someone through mm. something and in a way that kind of almost you know like lifts you up internally and then makes you feel like you're in a much better place as well yeah yeah there's yeah. there's like this paradox that helping people can help yourself mm-hmm. and like if mm-hmm. i reach out even if i'm feeling mm-hmm. bad like what you're saying yeah. like, i'm feeling down or yeah. frustrated me making someone else feel better helps me with my frustrations. Wow. Too. Yeah. It's no, this really definitely. cool, paradoxical, mm-hmm. like self-fulfilling sort of like mm-hmm. effect that's really, really awesome. Yeah. With, you know, just like, yeah, put out good feelings or get mm-hmm. good feelings, kind of karmic balance. You know? yeah, yeah. 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 On the flip side of that as well, though, I think I've also learned is like, in order to really be there for other people, you also have to, it's like, mm. yeah, it's, it's definitely, I think, you chicken or egg, like, but I think it kind of just goes hand yeah, in hand yeah, yeah. together. But you also have to take care of yourself first in order to take care of other people. Like, I love yeah. thinking of the analogy of like, if you're on an airplane, they always tell you, you know, put the air mask on you first before putting on a child, and because you really have to take care of yourself in order to to then be there for other people and mm-hmm. to help other people through what they're going through. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. sometimes it's like asking for help yeah. too. As yeah, part of it, yeah. You know, like that can be the hardest part, part though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or even recognizing maybe mm-hmm. that you need help and being mm-hmm. awareness that everything you're going through, like it's normal to feel distressed or to feel bad mm. and it's okay to now say, hey, I need to take a pause and need yeah. to reach out. Yeah. yeah. But I, I to, to summarize, I think yeah. the meta point of creating a culture, a community of mm-hmm. checking in with each other is mm-hmm. like an awesome support system yeah. to grow, to grow and nurture as we all go through things in our mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's some Pacific Islander cultures. Uh, There's one in particular and they have this practice where they, I think they're in groups of five. Mm. And I can't remember the, the mm-hmm. culture specifically, but they like meet oh. just regularly and they share all of their problems together. Mm-hmm. And it's wow. like a community family. It's like a yeah. small, you know, ethnic community, mm-hmm. but they share all of their problems together. And there was an article about how this is their form of mental health and their society. It's cool. Wow. And yeah, it's really cool. But it's the combination of the yeah. community with the reinforcement it's almost like yeah. you don't need an AA group. You don't need it to get that far. You should always have that mm. support system mm-hmm. throughout your life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Wow. Just providing that to other people and increasing awareness. Yeah. So for our audience, what yeah. are some like takeaways or recommendations you have for them to make this knowledge actionable? Besides, I think, you know, reaching out to their friends, you know, mm-hmm. anyone listening, mm-hmm. go reach out to your loved ones, check in on them, see how they're doing and uh, make that a practice. I think that to, you know, in the theme of mental health technologies, mm-hmm. there are a lot of people out there that could use help. And I think an openness and a willingness to try mm-hmm. mental health technologies mm-hmm. is something that I would encourage. Mm-hmm. You know, it sometimes can be a good step towards help for people, especially because, mm-hmm. you know, taking the big leap can be really hard mm-hmm. to finding like a professional person to seek help. And sometimes people mm-hmm. don't actually need that help at that level. But I think that's one action or thing I'd like to leave behind people is just an openness and a curiosity maybe in the mental health tech space and exploring that with people and finding solutions that might be helpful for them. Yeah, I think so. I think also like, I don't think, you know, seeking therapy or talking to someone necessarily has to be the result of you being in a crisis or you Mm -hmm. being going through a really tough time. I think anyone and everyone can really benefit from, you know, reflecting on, you know, what's happened this week, what's happened this day, the good and the bad, and just taking time to kind of pause and reflect. I think in a lot of ways, like therapy can augment someone's life where they're not necessarily needing help because they're they're struggling or suffering, but because they just want to live a better, happier, healthy, more wholesome life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Reflecting mm-hmm. is important. Just taking mm-hmm. a moment to step back. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Stephen and Anne, for talking with me and Imagine Human today. Yeah. Um, thank you. Yeah. It's been super fun. Thank yeah. you for having us. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Imagine Human. Please check us out at www.imaginehuman.com to read our show notes and learn more about Anne and Stephen's work at Hack Mental Health. Remember, if you're interested in getting involved, check out www.hackmentalhealth.care to register for this year's hackathon from March 21st to 22nd. As always, please subscribe and share this episode with your friends. We appreciate it.